Hello, and welcome to another edition of IDS Talks. My name is Jonathan Sachs, Chief Revenue Officer at IDS. And today I'm joined once again by my friend and colleague, Tim LaTulip, uh, out of our London office. Today, we're here to talk about D3, uh, Tim's newsletter that he sends to a select few. Although, if you are interested in getting it, we'll talk about how to do uh, how to do that or how to get on his list at the end of this podcast. Uh, today, though, we're talking D3 and uh, the world of AI. So, uh, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Pleasure to be with you, as always. So I was really excited to see this version of D3 come out uh, because a lot of people are talking about chat GPT, AI. Is this new? Is this not new? How can I use it? It's really cool. Blah, blah, blah. But it made me realize that we probably have listeners out there who may not be so familiar with the lingo that's th being thrown out. Um, they've heard AI before, but now it seems to be used in perhaps a different context. So I thought perfect place to start the conversation. Yeah, really good, really good point. And I, I think like a lot of things that can be sort of industry specific, you end up with a lot of this sort of word word salad, don't you? Or alphabet soup. You, you get a lot of these acronyms, and it gets quite confusing. I, I think, I think the term AI even apart from recent times has been horrendously overprescribed, uh, you know, like certain medications in, in recent times, but it's, it's very heavily used to describe usually things that are mundane, like automation. I think it's a bit of marketing fodder. If I'm honest, I think it's very cleverly used and it. And, and I don't blame people for using it that way, but I think the term gets conflated with other things. So I think, really quickly unpacking that and discussing that might be might be useful. So AI or you know artificial intelligence is just a is a very fascinating concept that in and of, in and of itself is almost born as a almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy from science fiction, which has happened several times. I mean things that were back on the old Star Trek ended up becoming real technologies, for instance. So sometimes this does this does happen. But the, the idea of a near sentient or sentient kind of machine that is human in just about every way is really, really far off. So let's start, let's start from that baseline or that footing. Uh, machines are not taking over the world and taking jobs and things like this. They are, they are starting to pick up pace and replicating what humans do from a mundane and repeatable process. So let's, let's admit that though. What, What's really interesting, I think, about this is that a lot of what's capturing and captivating people in, in the sort of media is, is chat GPT. That's, that's really going to be the, the focus of what people know in, in context of this. But really what that is, is a, is a use of large language models. You, you can Google this, we can link to it. But effectively, they're training, they're training these large machine learning uh, kind of environments on how to respond to your input. So you write it a set of prose, you ask it a question, and it's going to use, uh, try not to be too much of a geek, but I mean, it's going to use linear regression to kind of weight inputs bias and then give you an output on, on what, you've, what you've given it. It's not 
magical. It seems magical, but I think what's really happened here is that they've removed the barrier of access to so many people. There's an, access, there's an accessibility here that's incredible. Uh, it, it functions like you're using WhatsApp or typing into a Google chat. And really, uh, the, the output from these things are considerably accurate and, uh, and, and well-defined. Uh, so you can, you can chuck in what's the best restaurant to go to uh, if I'm in Portugal and I'm allergic to fish, <laughs> which would be embarrassing and unfortunate, but it could probably spit out a nice paragraph about what's good in the region and a list of places and their phone numbers. And it's getting, it's getting to be the, to the point where it's digesting a lot of information for people and making it very accessible. Now, is that artificial intelligence? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the pub question and that's the, the fun thing to debate, but it's certainly a very useful and effective uh, use of machine learning, which is kind of just a sub element of, of uh, AI, but maybe that's splitting hairs and nobody cares. Yeah. So, so Tim, let me, first of all, I'm glad that Skynet is not on the horizon tomorrow. Although who knows that robots are not taking over the world yet. I keep seeing the uh, dancing robots that I think it's maybe Boston scientific who's made. And they keep showing videos of how these robots dance better than I do. I just want to make sure though, we heard a buzz that is not the robots telling you to be quiet and you're being silenced. So you're safe there, right? Yeah, I'm safe. Yeah, good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Proof of life. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So let me ask you, and when I hear AI, I think back to the eighties uh, and war games, right? A game where it seemed like a, a movie where it seemed like yeah. the computer was running scenarios and thinking on its own. Whopper. That was the name of the computer. Uh, yeah. uh, there you go. There you go. All right. So let's, uh, I want to talk about at a very basic level and maybe I'm dumbing this down, but keep in mind, again, some of our listeners may just, they may not know chat GPT. They may not have used it yet. Or perhaps they've installed apps on their phone that leverage it. But in a dumbed down way, is this like us entering a Google search and the AI is going and rather than presenting us lists of probable hits, it's taking the information that's on all those web pages or many of them and and providing back a response that is taking all of that information, processing it, and essentially learning from it to then give us what is most likely relevant and responsive to the prompt we've input. That's exactly right. That's spot on. Got it. Got it. And look, I will admit, I've been playing with chat GPT, whether it's to get fun information. I am not allergic to fish. I'm also not traveling to Europe anytime soon, but I do love that idea. Um, I have actually used it in the context of helping draft a first draft of uh, of a document, uh, yeah. for example, a uh, a playbook on how to pursue a particular target market. Uh, I know friends who've used it to create spreadsheets for upcoming trips to determine itinerary or potential itinerary. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, uh, cost savings in that respect. And I mean, human time costs as well, not just raw costs, but you know, my, um, the, you know, my wife's launching a business for instance, and she's, she's, um, very, very much a visionary and has a great idea and has all, all these investors kind of 
circling around and, and that's all spinning up. But what she's absolutely not good with is creating things like tables and financials and, and these kinds of things. And, and um, just shy of making me do all of it for her, you know, she can punch stuff into Google Bard, which is similar. And it more like what you were talking about, Jonathan, it goes out to the wider internet, in this case, the Google search universe, and it aggregates things for you. But it also does simple things like, hey, I need an 18 month run rate for a business with a budget of X. And these are the costs for people and supplies and all this. Can you build me a table? And it'll spit something out that looks pretty near perfect without a whole lot of work. Um, and, and I know you, you don't have a whole lot of love for Excel, Jonathan. So you might find some, some use in that as well. Not, not a fan of, uh, the pivot table. Um, and for those who've seen my spreadsheets, unless I've gotten help, you know, that it looks like a kindergartner did it. Maybe even, we may even have to go preschool, but yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. It's a necessary evil. I, maybe I'm going to have to play with some of this, uh, this AI that's out there. So let me yeah. move, let me move from kind of what it is and how people might interact with it, right? We, we're not getting into the world of prompts. I've seen a ton of LinkedIn posts about, you know, chat GPT prompts. Um, I'm sure with Google's offering, I'll see some of those, but I've, I've read stories <clears throat> about individuals who are putting company information into chat GPT. Uh, for example, uh, having chat GPT um, analyze lines of code to determine if there are any issues with it. So what I'd like to ask you is, do you find that there are actually data protection and privacy concerns that come with some of these more accessible platforms? Wow. Yeah, that is a, that is a, a topic du jour. I mean, amongst, you know, a small group of us over here anyway, I don't think you'd find people in the pub talking about this necessarily, but it's a very interesting topic. Um, I would, I would hazard a guess that a lot of the people making use of an open prompt like Google Bard or OpenAI's chat GPT are putting information in there that they probably shouldn't. That's a fair guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what percentage, but I bet it's more than you'd, you'd be comfortable with. Um, the, the issue that I have with that is somebody who's acutely aware of how technology works and really just the, the state of the information age we're in kind of post 2005 or six, everyone started to become the product because they weren't paying for things. When you had an early Gmail beta account and these kinds of things, we quickly knew it was too good to be true. I mean, what is, what is it they're getting from me? They're providing me a world-class mail and storage service for nothing really. Uh, so it's, it's, um, it, it's something you got to keep, keep your, keep your mind on. Uh, we started noticing a similar problem where it, it, it didn't happen in our team, but we knew of um, document review teams uh, in different environments that were, Considering, I don't know if they ever did, but they were trying to put documentation through Google Translate, as an example, Babelfish or, or whatever those predecessors were called. And that data is being relinquished and is being stored with those companies. So if you're putting in really sensitive data in there, if you don't speak, say, I don't know, uh, uh, Austrian German or, or some dialect that's a little bit funny to you, um, and it's some sensitive data related to a merger or something really confidential, 
you're, you're potentially feeding that information over to somebody. And in fact, the terms and conditions usually state that that becomes their property. So there's, there's some, there's a whole lot, there's a confluence of issues that kind of swarm in here. There's like this duty of competence, there's ethical obligations, there's data protection and, you know, organizational security violations that might be happening all in one, all in one go, because someone's trying to achieve some, some kind of push button efficiency for something. You alluded to source code. And I think, I think it was Samsung electronics or some, some, some element of Samsung's larger organization where they were doing this and very, probably from a very benign perspective, I don't think they let out, you know, the next generation of an operating system or anything remotely crazy, but I think they were trying to speed up or, or maybe even test the efficacy of something like chat GPT to, to sense check their programming. And, uh, were later kind of, I don't know if they were flagged, by compliance or whoever flagged it to them, but it was made abundantly clear that that data was now with OpenAI uh, as part of the T's and C's. And I d don't know what Microsoft's tie-in with that is like. They were certainly large investors in the company, uh, but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that you know the optics are that Microsoft now has the IP of Samsung, which you know nobody would necessarily handshake and agree to. Um, so it's 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 interesting to to look at it from that perspective. You just yeah, I think people need to be a little bit wary of, uh, you know, what, you know, what, what great technology can do for you at, at little to no cost. Uh, th there's always some, some trade off there. <laughs> Nothing is ever free. Nothing no. is ever free. Uh, so let's shift the gears again. <clears throat> so we at IDS um, are involved in both working with law firms and corporations um, on legal matters, investigations, uh, data preservation, all of that. ChatGPT came up recently when a lawyer actually had ChatGPT do its legal research uh, for him and uh, came back with rulings and and um, arguments to make based on cases only to find um, that the other side tried to find those cases, as did the judge, I believe, and uh, they didn't exist. ChatGPT made it up. So, um, again, we get involved in the legal space somewhat differently. We don't practice law, but I wanted to ask you, are you aware of, of these types of AI being used in our industry already? Wow. Yeah, that's, I'll, I'll try to answer that one concisely because that could go a few different ways. So more to your immediate question. I think this type of machine learning is being used in our industry um, by by some software creators and uh, friends of ours in this space. I think they they leverage more somewhat closed off versions of this that aren't based on large, gigantic public models of information, but maybe on more put four walls around an, orga an organization's documentation. So the many millions of documents that company ABC has that's its training model and its universe. And you can use a chat prompt against that and say, Hey, find me the stuff where, you know, uh, we did that diabetes research in 2019, but I don't want to use diabetes as a keyword. So bring me back anything that has to do with uh, glycemic index or blood sugar or anything that has to do with any of that stuff. And it'll say, ah, okay, here's, here's a whole bunch of documents related to that kind of research. And it's, and it's doing it not just on, based on keywords. 
which is very helpful. And it's, and it's summarizing them for you. That's the cool bit. So they can take a thousand documents and say, across these, here's a bullet list of five things that are prevalent across all of those as a theme. That part's quite novel and cool. But my next point was going to be, our industry has been leveraging machine learning type technology for 15 years, probably more in an accepted way for the last eight or nine, uh, to the point that it's almost required. So, you know, data volumes have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, the likely relevant documents, what's disclosed, your briefing packets to a regulator, whatever you're dealing with, they're, they're not really changing much in scope and size, but you have to get through so much more just to find it. Um, I'm taking a little bit on a walk here, but it's interesting to, to see it change in front of us because even a decade ago, things like predictive coding and these machine learning driven, um, I'm thinking more of Cal continuous active learning. Sure. There, there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a stutter start in trying to get people to adopt that and use it with all technologies that seem kind of novel. Now in the UK, we're, we're somewhat progressive with our discovery regime, but, but, you know, behind the U S in quite a few ways, but, but certainly ahead of, of, of uh, other parts of the world. We have a disclosure regime here that was formerly the pilot scheme, which is now a practice direction here, which Dom on our team would happily talk to you about until he's red in the face. But they now require parties to consider, I think it's 0.9 in this document. They kind of prepare their budgets, what issues they've agreed on. And there's a point in there, I think it's 0.8 or 9, but it asks that the parties have very strongly considered the use of predictive coding, technology-assisted review, CAL, for document sets that are larger than say 50,000 or whatever it is. So now it's very much part of the, uh, it's very much on the minds of the judiciary here that this technology has huge benefits. And if it's used properly, uh, should be used to, to save people time and costs. Is, is this chat prompt type stuff going to go the same way? I, I don't know. I think because of the early pitfalls we're seeing with it, um, the, uh, these are blunders that people will forget. They have short memories, you know, but the lawyer getting in trouble for having case law cited, that doesn't exist. I mean, that's, it's a, it's, it's a laugh and it's funny. Um, there's also, you know, it also brings up that whole duty of confidence thing. Uh, you know, you can have the machine get you there, but you still need to probably do your homework. Right. Uh, you, Absolutely. I mean, that yeah. is, that is something that I have found in what I give it. it, it's got a good flavor, but it's, it's version one. It's a draft. It needs to have some. Yep. Uh, massaging um, is the yeah. best word I can come up with. We, we've run it against things because uh, data forensics being my kind of core specialism, but I, you know, we've, I've run things against it just to see in Bard and um, open AI's chat GPT, different variants. And I've said, you know, how do I, I'm looking for these types of artifacts on this kind of say windows based computer or something where, where can I go to find these? And it's, you know, again, it's a version one, the, the stuff that it's giving me isn't exactly wrong. It might say, look at these points on a computer. Um, it's certainly missing, you know, 15 or 16 other things you should be looking for. It's not going to do your job for you. Sure. Uh, but it, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting to, to poke it once in a while and see how quote unquote uninformed it is. Well, so, uh, so to that to that point, Tim, let me let me share this with with the uh, with our listeners. 
I took your delightfully digestible data, and my apologies, I referred to it as D3 because we lovingly refer to it as D3, which is yet more lingo. And we started off talking about lingo and AI, chat GPT, what does it all mean? So D3 is delightfully digestible data. I took yours, I dropped it into chat GPT while, during our podcast right now. Now, the questions that I've asked Tim, um, I came up with and with Tim's input. Well, this time I got ChatGPT's input just based on the text of your D3. And uh, the three questions that it came up with are very similar to what we came up with. How is is generative AI transforming the legal industry and what potential implications does it have for legal professionals? Can you explain the concept of generative AI and its significance in the context of legal services? How does it differ from other forms of AI? And what are some potential concerns and considerations when it comes to using accessible systems like ChatGPT and other AI-powered tools in the legal field, particularly in terms of confidentiality, data protection, and maintaining ethical standards? Oh, good robot. Yeah, I right, feel right. I feel validated uh, by that. I would pat it on the head if I could. Uh, but you know, what I find interesting about that is, yeah, those were all good questions, quite wordy, uh, although people who have heard me talk and have met me and listened to other podcasts know that I can be wordy, quite wordy, but also um, not as conversational as no. one would want for a, for a podcast. So I feel like chat GPT, you got it close, but not fully there. Yeah. And that's an interesting, maybe a closing <laughs> remark. I mean, I don't, I'm not really clock watching if you are, but uh, I, I certainly want to, you know, uh, keep, keep these punchy for people. But the, the, the other thing that's been coming up quite a bit, uh, not just in London, but in, you know, we were just in Dublin uh, a couple of the last couple of days talking to a whole load of clients and friends and it had been a few months. And this is still a very salient topic um, in the legal space and the consulting world and tech world. And, you know, a lot, uh, multiple people from different directions have largely disputes lawyers. I will say that that has been a bit of a theme. The disputes lawyers seem most concerned with it uh, and fraud lawyers a little bit. Uh, but, but, you know, it's this concept of, well, what can I do to determine whether a document was drafted by one of these generative AI systems or if a human being actually drafted the pros? Which one was it? And that's, that's tough. Um, and that's, that's something we're keeping a watchful eye on. At least I am, um, being forensically minded. How do we, how do we prove, uh, provenance and integrity and veracity and all of that throughout, throughout the chain? I, I don't have a really good answer for it, but in some of the conversations we've had, we've been, we've been, uh, you know, we, we've keyed in on a few blurbs from some of the the kind of mothership entities, IBM, Microsoft, OpenAI, Google. And I think there's this, I, I think there's a bit of um, awareness of this going on. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some, something going on right now to remedy it. I don't have any insight in this specifically, but I can see some kind of watermarking going on when it's just text. That's tough. I suppose they could modify their models so that resultant output always have the same kinds of words near each other at ends of sentences or lines or something where you could, you could turn a machine back on it and say, Hey, this is really unlikely a human wrote it because of where these words are placed or something like that. I mean, I I could see it being done that way. Um, 
the thing we always laugh about. <laughs> Dan Roop, Dan Ruprecht always says this, but they can't they can't get the fingers right with the imagery. Oh, right, so right. In Journey or Dolly or these, and they look really good. I mean, they are between a real photo and kind of a New Yorker cartoon sometimes, but they are some of them are very spot on. But when you zoom in a little bit, the fingers you know look like Freddy Krueger or something. You know, they aren't quite quite right. right. Um, you, you don't get that with text words are words. Um, so yeah, look, looking into ways that, uh, determining whether a human wrote that or, or a generative prompt wrote it, uh, is, is, is it's going to happen. It's going to be part of a dispute. And I also wonder if some of the lawyers aren't, you know, kind of sweating, perhaps their, their junior lawyers or trainees, you know, maybe they wonder if they're using these to, to, to write briefings or something. So yeah. I think maybe it's a little column A, column B. Well, well, we'll have to make that the topic of a future, uh, future podcast for sure. Yeah. Well, Definitely. so, so, um, before I close this out here, uh, if our listeners and subscribers want to get the copy of delightfully digestible data D three, how can they reach out to you to get it? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we always, my, my email is available. I, I think, uh, we put it in the comments and, um, of these podcasts, uh, it's it's on our website. We'll link to our website. Even 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 better, we're we're very uh, open door accessible that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, if if you're happy to be if you're happy to be added, contact Jonathan myself directly, and we'll we'll get you on that list. Excellent. Well, with that, I want to thank you, Tim, for joining us today, as well as our regular subscribers and those that may be first time listeners. If you'd like to learn more about IDS or want to subscribe to our IDS Talks podcast, you can visit IDSinc.com or wherever you normally get your podcast from. Thank you again for joining us. And I look forward to talking more about data with you on our next edition of IDS Talks podcast. Thanks, everyone.